welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, RPG Edition, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. But this time, we're going to talk about RPGs. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. And also Spencer's here, but he didn't say anything because we yeah, didn't do we'll a good job with later. these show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here too. <laughs> this week, we're talking about RPGs that are not D&D. Why would you ever want to play anything that wasn't D&D? Turns out, probably a lot of reasons. And if you never played Dungeons & Dragons, what are some games you might play and why? Uh, but first, we'll talk about why my co-host can't actually say role-playing games instead of RPG, because I want to abbreviate, but that's a whole other thing. Also, Because that's what you typed, Chris. <laughs> Don't be lazy, oh. and we won't be lazy. Also, thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, who just joined us in our live audience, Sahara Wentworth, who's our newest friends of the show, and the Gift of Games in Grace Lake, Illinois. Okay, also, Sahara, um, you did this backwards. So, Sahara just became a friend of the show today, and she won our contest two weeks ago. If you want to be a friend of the show... You get a lot of entries into the contest for doing this, but she didn't do it until after she won. So, um, yeah. Oh, She's wait, giving wait. back. She's <laughs> giving, yeah, paying it forward. Paying it backwards? Paying it backwards. I don't know. But <laughs> in any case, we super appreciate Sahara joining us as a friend of the show. And if you want to be a friend of the show, there's one slot left. Um, also, a huge thank you to all of other patrons. It is amazing. Also, thank you to everyone in our live audience. Uh, we have Darren. We have, I was going to say Kitty. Um, <laughs> I guess you're already in our live audience. I'm just reading your questions <laughs> right now. John, Alex, Julia, Steve, Terrence, Christopher, Matthew, and Miles. Uh, you can join us anytime you want. All you got to do is go to tabletopgametalk.com slash live, and you will see a link. And that's 8.30 Central Time. Um, for those who so are good the luck Coast, with that math <laughs> <laughs> that means we're in it is 9 30 your time on the east coast and in california or on the west coast because i just think the west coast is california because i'm a midwesterner it is 6 30 that time and if you're in vegas i think it's 7 30 but i don't know mountain time's a weird time there's like eight people in in mountain time so all eight <laughs> of you 7 30 um and if you're not in the u.s I could just go through all 24 time zones. There's actually more than that. But no, I'm, don't. I'm not going to. Aren't, aren't there, <laughs> just, aren't there also some <laughs> time zones or U.S. states that don't do daylight savings time? There yes. are. Um, in so fact, we're in Arizona. Decent, <laughs> Arizona yeah, we're actually, them, I think, yeah. in parts of Indiana. Yep. Um, Miles, who's always joins us around his lunchtime. And anytime, it's 1130 a.m. for Miles right now. Um and He's in whenever we do daylight savings time, I have to put a note on our page saying, hey, Miles, um, we're just at our daylight savings time. So it's an hour off where you're at. Also, it's Tuesday for Miles right now. Um, it's Tuesday for most people who are listening right now, but it's actually Tuesday for Miles right now. It's got to be so, weird to live in the future. boot up your machine, go to Google, <laughs> and then type in your, you know, your country or your city and then our city. And then it should tell you what time it is. Let Google do the hard part. Let Let go to your world clock. You. Type in Chicago. Yeah. Done. That that was a lot of that was a lot of talking just about time zones. I'm not going to be able to do a lot of time my... zone talk. <laughs> I know. Um, hey, we're, so we're programmers. Alex... Dates and times are hard. <laughs> yeah, I would ask. Shout Kitty out to and our Fletcher other meteorologist. <laughs> Stop it. I would ask Kitty and Fletcher how their week was, but um, every time I ask them, it's fine. So I'm assuming fine, unless you guys tell me otherwise. Okay, it's great. Fine. So mine was fine, fine too, by the way. Perfect. Spencer, I heard you got your second shot today. 
I did get my second shot today. I got my and second shot today as well. got this free mask that didn't fit anyone in our family. Yeah, they were giving <laughs> out masks, the- but they're tiny masks. So wait, so Fletcher and Spencer are now fully vaccinated with two weeks pending. Kitty, yours yes. isn't until a while from now, right? Next week. Next week. Mine is next week as well. Um, and then two weeks later, I will be announcing conventions I will be at. Um, we'll talk about other people's convention schedule. I, I definitely know I will be on Dice Tower Cruise. I've already booked it. So right now is the time to book that if you're going to, but that's not until February, middle of February of next year. So we're hoping that all the COVID stuff is behind us. But if you want to be on the Dice Tower Cruise... You really need to pay attention. I think this week this is going to open up to the general public and it'll sell out almost immediately. Um, I was going to talk about Tainted Grail and Sprawlopolis. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give Marvel United a second. If you have not backed Marvel United on Kickstarter, just stop what you're doing, take out a small loan, go to Kickstarter, <laughs> and go all in on everything. We will you never get- be Table Talk Finance Talk. <laughs> do not listen to Chris. Never. It's not a good idea. Take out a loan. <laughs> you can... Buy yeah. some games, go into debt. <laughs> no, no, not some games. One game. This one buy game. Buy one game. If you if you didn't buy the original, it this one game with X Men and the original game, and which does not include the base game, you'll still have to go to like Walmart for that. Um, I'm pretty sure the total will run about seven hundred dollars. Um, I'm going to say it's actually worth it if. You have $700 you have nothing else to do with. But no, it's a good game. You don't need everything. <laughs> just just get the base. Get the base game and a couple extra expansions. And that's all you need. You do not need everything. But it's a good game. So check Why it out. would you um, do that when you could that... put that $500 towards your $3,000 3D printer? No, you know I'm not going to buy a $3,000 printer. <laughs> Spend half of it on this game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. All right. I do want to give... A call out to Alex, though. Um, and Alex and Julia, they're in, in our channel right now. Alex has started an Etsy channel. And if you want me to talk about your Etsy channel, Some all you got to do is send me shops. free stuff. Etsy shops. Um, and he actually <laughs> literally program. calls it the Geek Coaster Shop. Yeah. Um, just send me free stuff. Send me free stuff and I'll talk about you. Um, but he has these. They are coasters. Our love is coasters. cheap. Um, <laughs> our love is so cheap. It doesn't take much. There's a link in the show notes. I've already put it in the show notes. I haven't put the show notes up yet, but there's there's a link there. But they're um they're basically uh, coasters. He has a couple round ones that are like Star Wars. They but the game board the game ones are cool. It's like the cover of a box, but it's like strategically snapped colors of boxes in a hexagon shape. I can't wait to get mine. Um, I didn't pay for mine. Alex, I would have paid for it. You could have just sent me a link and said, hey, they're collectible. And I would have like bought like three copies of each Chris one. Chris has a buying problem. <laughs> I'm just saying they're cool. Tabletop um, intervention so, talk. <laughs> no, no, no. That is a channel we I already did never that. do. We tried. One we episode out of episode, 237. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. We're done. Not again. Um, but yeah, check out Alex's shop. It's Geek, Geek Coaster Shop. And there's a bunch of stuff. And I bet you, if you say, hey, Alex, I think these are cool, but this is my favorite game. What can you do? Just send him a direct email. And he's he's not nodding to me now. He's actually like, what are you saying? Why are you advertising this? Like, <laughs> Why are you promising things that you <laughs> Please won't deliver no. on? This is, this is not part of the deal. Stop, Chris, stop. I'm just saying these Etsy shops, they'll work with you. This they, is what happens <laughs> when you send us free stuff. We'll talk about your Etsy shop and tell everyone and that you Chris can do stuff make... that you won't do. Yeah. 
So be prepared. Chris will make promises on your behalf that (laughs) That we won't have to follow through on. You're welcome. (laughs) So, yes, check these out. Um, And because I plugged Alex, um, Charles, actually, Charles from Japan. And I did not email you back, Charles. So, And I'm assuming you listened to me because when you sent me this email, it's very nice. It's addressed to us. Um, it could have been a form letter. I don't know. But it was – he's doing plug and plays. It's going to be – or plug and plays. Print and plays. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he sent one for us to try out. And it's called Sky Towers. And it's the actually 90s. a cute – it, and yeah, I went back and was like, let's plug and play this game. And the Sky Towers game is pretty cool. So there's also a link in the show notes for this. Um, but what's interesting about this more than anything else is there's an entire site out there that is where you can click on and download free print and plays. And I did not know this existed. So it's called EX1ST. So X first. I guess, um, slash games. So I don't, I don't know. There's a link in the show notes and check it out. It's called Sky Towers. But again, Alex's coasters. Um, ask him to make the most crazy games. I just, I want to, I want him to email me and say, someone just asked me for, I don't know, like just pick a crazy game. Um, that game uh, Steve right. was talking about. <laughs> that game Steve was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Pre show, join us. All right. That's enough banter or just me talking I, w- I meant to make that short but it's been 10 minutes so um let's talk about role-playing games um apparently there's D and other things um no you mean pathfinder talk- <laughs> pathfinder <laughs> pathfinders there's D and there's pathfinder and those are the role-playing games <laughs> in the world that's it we did it. complete list nailed um, it boom moving yep. on that was a short episode <laughs> see you next week <laughs> <laughs> later so for those who don't know pathfinder is Literally D and D. Um, there have been five editions of D and D, and more if you count them differently. Uh, we're not going to talk about any of those editions, and we're not going to talk about Pathfinder, which is an offshoot of of D and D three point five. We are going to talk about pretty much anything else. Um, and Spencer, I'm going to bring you into this first. Normally, this is Fletcher's job, but since I confuse <laughs> you people all the time anyway, I'm just going to you know throw you out here. That's fair. So much Spencer. Alike. Why would we ever want to play anything but D and D or a D and D derivative? Uh, well, I mean, maybe you don't like D and D, or there's aspects of D and D that you would like to see different. Because every different type of RPG system that I've found has had something that's different, either um, in the systems of the rules, uh, b- but also in the sort of the setting that these things are in, and in the uh, the emphasis of gameplay that uh, that you explore. I'll give you that. Kitty, what do you think? Because you've been listening to this podcast that I keep forgetting the name of, but apparently they do a lot of like <laughs> offshoot, uh, like one-off role-playing systems, right? Yeah. So uh, New Game Who Dis, uh, I think they're mostly on YouTube. <laughs> it's part of the Glass Cannon Network. Um, they play one-offs of games, and that's all that that show is, is they'll play like three sessions of a game and check out new systems. And... Uh, they all started as like, we play Pathfinder and that's our game and that's what we do. And why would you want anything else? And through this, they have all found other games that they love and they have started doing a Delta Green campaign because it's so different and really fun in its own way, completely outside it. There's none of like the crunchiness that can come from a D&D adjacent system. What does that mean? What is crunchiness? I was gonna- 
thank you for <laughs> taking my spot. Yeah, I, 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 that was the exact question I was going to ask. Define crunchiness. Crunchiness is um, like rules-heavy combat specifically, I think. A lot of yeah. games are trying to separate themselves from the we need a map, we need the stats for all of these creatures, we need this much work to go into it before you play the game. Yeah, and I will say right. I think that's one of the big differences between D&D versus everything else is D&D. And you, I mean, you can run a very story-focused, combat-light D&D game, mm-hmm. but the spirit of D&D is still kick down the door and go fight the dragon, right? And yeah. you, you, think, you think of a D&D game... Like if you've seen Stranger Things, right? And everyone's like playing the game there. There's a map. There's figures that are there. Uh, it's, it's central. You're rolling dice. Yeah. You're rolling. You're definitely rolling dice. Uh, I know you didn't want to talk about different editions, right, Chris? But I'm going to do it anyways because I don't care about your rules. (laughs) Uh, in, uh, D and D four, I know one of the big things that you had a bone to pick with that is that it's straight up required an actual grid in the rules. Uh, although that's the only addition that I'm aware of that, that did so. Everywhere else is just sort of a convention, but it, it's definitely part Actually, of the the culture of the game. Yeah, strictly speaking, that started in D and D three, where the grid became part of the rules. Um, but actually, maybe we'll talk about grid combat at some point. Grid. We'll talk about grid combat versus theater of the mind in our next episode. I think that would actually be because that that applies to a lot of different systems. Um, Fletcher, you have not played yes. anything outside of D and D, right? <coughs> no, I've played um. Uh, Shadow Run. Okay, and he's played Vampire with us. Yeah, oh, and, and Vampire and you too. Played. You're invisible to me. Yeah, um. <laughs> but to be fair, on, on, on Vampire, um, I don't really think I've done much combat, so I don't really understand how it works. It's basically Spencer telling me what die I need to roll at what time. To be like, fair, and we'll get to us, this. Okay. None of us get how combat works in Vampire. <laughs> Nobody okay. understands it. No it's one true. knows. <laughs> <laughs> We're really bad at knowing the rules of Vampire. I that think. is just a bad it, book. I can tell you about how it yeah. worked in previous editions. I still remember that pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> so I will. All right. So I'm going to um, quickly crunch and fluff because those are words that we may end up using often. Crunch we talked about. Crunch is the rules. Um, in board game turns, board game terms, crunch is all the rules of the board game. That's yeah. crunch. Everything the, you get in a board game, of the is, game crunch. Yeah. is crunch. Is um, crunch to fluff. Yeah. Fluff is the story. Um, Kitty doesn't like fluff in her board games. She just wants, give me the rules. If you throw some fluff in there, it better be italicized in a completely different color because I want to be able to skip it. Um, I just want to know where I can find the rules in the rule book. Which makes complete sense. Now, which is the problem with vampire. And we'll talk about vampire first because we've all all playing in Spencer's campaign of Vampire. The problem with the Vampire book, and we're only mentioning this so that we can actually talk about the game afterwards, is Vampire takes an approach of mixing the fluff and the crunch all together in a way where it's a swirly, swirly ice cream popsicle that's starting to melt, and you can't make sense of any of it. No. That's my metaphor. For Those vampire. words hurt my eyes. And I'll say, I'll say <laughs> yeah. it makes... It does. It does make for a more interesting it, read. It, it makes for a more interesting read cover to cover. If you pick up the book and you're like, "I'm going to read through this whole rule book and see how I play the game," that's it, it unfolds in an interesting way. But that's not the core purpose of what the book is. You really need that when it's you're a playing. Rule book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As if I Here's was a rule running book. the game. It's a novel. <laughs> yeah, yes. The main character's name is game, David. Yeah. <laughs> I think the rules start well, at like this- chapter six. 
If you want to understand how combat works and inter- and inter- uh, interacts with the hunger mechanic, just change. <laughs> go to chapter twelve and read the scene where this happens and extrapolate the rules from there. <laughs> so this is one of the things that. It, so there's there are so many systems that are not D and D, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna mention a few of them. We're gonna mention a few, but we're not gonna go into a lot of detail on a lot of them. Vampire will go a touch deeper, but. Um, when you pick up another book and you're playing a system outside of D&D, the person who's going to run the game, they are expected to read the book cover to cover, basically. Someone has to have a decent understanding of what's going on because if you're going to pick up another system, someone needs to teach that system. Um, I've done this several times and I find it enjoyable. And if you have someone who finds it enjoyable or are someone who finds it enjoyable, then picking up new games is actually not a terrible thing to do. You know, I think that shot must be getting to me because I think I'm agreeing with Chris. No, no. Exactly. (laughs) So in Vampire, Vampire also expects the players to do the same thing. This is something that most games should never, ever anticipate or want. No, no, no. They shouldn't. They should want it. But never expect your players to read a book cover to cover. That's not what the players are there for. The players are there to play. Tell me what dice to roll. I just want to be Fletcher. Give me a character. I'll roll the dice. We're good. <laughs> yeah, and to, and to be What's... fair, that was that was one one of the problems that I had with it, and and part of the reason that we structured that game the way we did is because I wanted to short circuit that for people. So for I guess for the listeners' sake, uh, part of the the structure of this game is most of the players were people who were just recently turned into vampires and had no knowledge about how any of this stuff works so they could role play through learning all of this stuff and that way we could learn through at the table through through gameplay rather than you know studying the book for a month before we play but I still tried to optimize my character and break the system by saying hey I'm an expert in this one thing and I suck at everything else and that's not good either um that's another fun thing you get to do when you're trying out new systems though is how do I optimize and break everything um Anything else about Vampire before we move on? Because I'm going to pace us on this, and we can come back and revisit as an overall, if we would like. No, I'll say that um, Vampire is part of the like the White Wolf universe, the World of Darkness games. Uh, and we've been talking about that when we've been playing it, because it's the... Uh, it's the it's sort of their flagship title, and it's the the most recent one they've put out in their new edition. But I kind of honestly find it the least appealing of the World of Darkness like flagship games. Uh, they also have uh, Werewolf and Mage, or the like the two other big ones that they have there. Uh, they also have Changeling, which is about like fairies and stuff. There's a whole lot of different things that you can play in that. And the system. thing is, you can go back and get those previous editions and play them just as easily as well. Absolutely, it's just like D and D in past versions, right? You can always just yep. play the game. Yeah, you can just play the older version. That's fine. They may not be making current content for it, but there's probably a lot of content you can get. Yeah. Um, also, I want to mention Vampires is our shorthand name for it. It's actually Vampire the Masquerade. If I is that that is the World of Darkness version of Vampire, right? Is Vampire the Masquerade? Right, except for fourth yep. edition where it was called Vampire the Requiem. Okay, awesome. So you can search Vampire World of Darkness if you want to know what game we're playing now. Um, whatever the current we're edition playing is, fifth edition. Fifth edition, um, which is different than fifth edition in all the other things we're going to be talking. <laughs> well, whenever we mention fifth edition, it's there's another reason for it, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Also, I did want to mention Blaze in the Dark, which is another vampire game that focuses on the conspiracy aspect of it. And Blaze in the Dark actually helps the game master. Um, they call it the conspiramid. So it's a conspiracy pyramid. 
and it helps the game master. It's like the food pyramid, these, but worse. Like the food pyramid, but worse. <laughs> but it helps it's the game master. Blood. It gives really good advice on how to create these conspiracies going on and how everything leads to the big bad. And uh, check that out if you want to see that. Um, honestly, one of the things, if you were running a lot of role-playing games, looking at different role-playing games and how they do things will give you lots of ideas on how to run your game. Uh, Blaze in the Dark, I literally bought the PDF for that simply for the Conspiramid chapter and how you put all that stuff together. All right, let's talk about Savage Worlds for a moment. This is, and I have not looked on like rating these games. Mostly I'm, I put these on the list based on what I know, and then we'll add some more as <laughs> audience members chime in and say, hey, this game or that game. Um, but Savage Worlds is another game that we ran a campaign in. Um, it was during the time between 4th and 5th edition D&D. We ran Savage Worlds and Pathfinder um, were the two games that we ran between those times. Um, Fletcher, you have not experienced Savage Worlds in any way, right? I don't, I don't think so, no. Okay. So I'm going to explain Savage Worlds in a 60-second explanation. And then Kitty and Spencer, fill in the blanks and let you. me know your perspective on it. Um, Savage Worlds is a non-class system. It's actually a, a point by system. So you're going to say, I am this, and I have this many points to spend, and I'm going to get these powers and these abilities. Yay, yay, yay. Uh, your abilities are essentially a die. So you're going to roll a D4, 6, 8, 10, 12, whatever. If you roll the highest number on that die, they explode, and you get to roll it again and add it together. So you have this exploding dice mechanic. You don't have hit points in Savage Worlds. You just have three essentially wounds that you can take before you die. Um, and there's certain ways you have like a threshold of damage that gets done to you before you take a wound. So it really simplifies that mechanic. Um, everything, normally everything dies with one wound, but you're a hero. So you die with three wounds. Um, but you can run, this is a generic system that you can run in essentially any genre you want. And the core rule book will allow you to run in any genre. Now, they make their money by sending, giving all kinds of settings books that give you all kinds of special features for those particular settings. But ultimately, this is a generic role-playing system, point by, no levels type of thing. And when I say point by, I mean you spend points to make your character better. Um, what did I miss? Bennies. Bennies! Yeah. Um, this is the first game that I've run that actually allows the players to have a mechanical way of interfering with my plans. So <laughs> I might say, hey, a we'll stick in fantasy because it's easy. A horde of goblins breaks in the front door of the tavern and starts attacking all the all the innocent people. Um, I spend a Benny to be sitting in front of the door at the time. So when they try to break in, they can't all get in. Fine. Give me your Benny. They don't break in, but they're bashing at the door. That's that's one way Benny's work. And the other one is, um, I shoot at the goblin boss. You miss. I spend a Benny. Okay, roll again. I hit. Great. He's dead. <laughs> so those are That's Benny's. That's how we mostly use them. It sounds like you don't like Benny's. <laughs> no, Benny's are awesome. I love them. But as, as a game master, you have to be, you have to faux, be faux frustration whenever your players do something that's cool um, so that they feel like it was cool. Um, otherwise... You know, if the DM is on your side, then pfft, what fun is that? I don't know if this is actually like a rule of the game, but how we played it was you got bennies for doing cool stuff too. Like, nope, that's the rule of the game. That's literally okay. a rule in the game. <laughs> and I like it because 
Chris would forget to give us forget to give us bennies for doing cool stuff. <laughs> so Chris started giving us each a Benny at the beginning of the game to give to someone else at the table. And I remember one time Sydney did something crazy and serious. So we were all just like throwing bennies at her. Like she was a bird person who led the like it was a literal wild goose chase. And it was hilarious and awesome. And I forgot you played a bird person. Bird person. <laughs> <laughs> It was so, like seriously, we had so much fun. That session still sticks out. She's my also mind. a turtle in the D and D game. We're playing. She does now. not she like likes, to be a human. She doesn't like to be a human. <laughs> no, no. She was a gnome in a different. Yeah, she does not. Yep. She's never played a human that I know of. Um, no. Yeah, our Savage World campaign was a sci-fi campaign as it was seen in the fifties. So it was a fifties pulp sci-fi campaign. So that and that's the range that Savage Worlds can take. It can go from weird weird world. Two is another one of their main campaigns, which is World War Two with zombies. Um, and they just like there's so many different uh, versions for Savage Worlds. Yeah, Slipstream Fletcher is the name of the system for the yep. world we were in. In case somebody's yep. looking Fletcher, for it, <laughs> does this sound like a cool system? Like you would want to play in this, or you're yeah, like, no, sure. it's not D and D. I'm not interested. All right, no. Cool. I'll, I'll play <laughs> other. Well, why do you think I only play D and D? Oh, I am only using you as my <laughs> D&D, um, what's the th- control? So in, in the experiment the control of group. other control. systems, you're the control group. <laughs> so what, uh, one of the things I really liked about that system with the dice and the um, explosion mechanic that you're talking about uh, was the the sort of negative feedback loop on the bursting with your skills, right? So if you have a higher die, you're more likely to succeed, but you're less likely to burst. So if you're unskilled in something, uh, or you had very low skill, you're rolling a D4, which more often than not, a lot of times you're doing something hard. It's mathematically impossible for a four. A four is not going to be enough to succeed. But if you get lucky and you roll another four, right, you're going to keep going. And that's 25% of the time. So you've, you, you've really got a shot there. Where if you're trying to burst with a D12, like it's just. No, oh, yeah, it rarely unlikely. happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is very very fun to watch that bursting mechanic, that that explosion mechanic, and um, Arcadia Quest actually does this as in board game form, where if you roll a critical, you get to roll another die. That's essentially the same thing that Savage Worlds does, and it means that no matter how unskilled you are at something, if you get extraordinarily lucky, you could still roll still a, a crazy chance. high roll. There's <laughs> always a chance, and I've you guys have like literally burned bennies just for that chance. I'm like. Are you sure you want to do this? Yes. Okay. And you just keep burning them <laughs> until you succeed. Um, all right. Let's move on to a game that I don't think any of us have actually played, but is a game that I desperately want to play because it is the Keyforge game, and it's based on the Genesis system, and the current Star Wars RPG Sega Genesis? is also... Based on Genesis, Project Genesis. It's based on the Project Genesis system. I just rewatched Star <laughs> Trek too. Um, but Genesis is the fantasy flight generic role playing system. And the Star Wars role playing game, the current version, there's been a number of them. The current version with fantasy flight, um, was the foundation for this system. Now, the Star Wars game created out of that came the Genesis system, but the Star Wars game is slightly different than that system. Um, and Star Wars by itself has three different versions of Star Wars, depending <laughs> on if you want to play. Let's say you can play Force, 
you can play Outlaws and you can play everything else. So there's like literally three different systems that you can play. But if you're Force users, you all have to be Force users. If you're the Rebellion, you all have to be Rebellion. If you're going to be Outlaws, anyway, that's beside the point. The main key, the key to this system is you're not rolling dice with numbers on it. You're rolling dice with symbols on it. And the symbols are you're success or fail. Dice. You're rolling basically <laughs> blank dice. Um, no, they're custom dice. They do this on purpose. You can buy a $5 app, which they sell, or you can buy the dice, which are like $10 a pack. Um, I have too many of these dice because I really want to play it someday, even though I never have yet. Um, but the way, the, essentially the way this works is you have successes and failures on the dice and you have, like critical successes and critical failures on the dice. And there's um, also complications and advantages. So there's six different symbols on these dice. And eventually you learn the symbols where you're like, okay, I roll the dice and I can see what's going on. And they all cancel each other out. So an advantage cancels cancels a complication. A success cancels a uh, failure and vice versa. They cancel each other out. And a critical cancels a critical. And then at the end, you're left with, you had two successes and a complication. And then as the DM, you have to come up with a way that that makes sense. So you succeeded at what you're trying to do, but you stubbed your toe along the way. Um, in combat, it's a little more formalized where your complications and your setbacks can, like, they'll, this is what happens when that happens for this. Um, but it gives you a lot of freedom in what's going on. And this is also a game that asks the players to participate. So, Spencer... You roll two successes and a complication. You succeed at jumping over the canyon. What was the complication? I dropped my notebook. There you go. And that's the type of thing where you it, it kind of asks the players to be involved. Now, I don't know if it's just my group, who I'm talking to three of the four of them now, but I feel my group is lazy. And I don't feel my group actually wants to be the person making those decisions and things and stuffs but you guys i actually i actually really like doing that but i but i do think that's odd of of me as a player uh i don't think it's the norm i um i don't know i feel like i'm bad at improv i'm not good at coming up with something quickly i'm like um come back to me in 10 and i'll i've got this (laughs) but like that really slows down gameplay (laughs) um (laughs) I I'm not a quick thinker at times and I the more you do it the easier it gets and the better we get at it. It's just when we haven't been playing in a while, you're rusty, you're not expecting it to be on you. Like the more you do it, the better I am at it. But some like if you had just said that to me, I would have like um uh, <laughs> for way too long for me to keep doing it on this podcast because I already lost part of our audience there. Well, I'm gonna test Fletcher. So I'm gonna <laughs> same question to Fletcher. Different scenario. You roll two successes on a complication in picking the lock on the door that you know there's a trap on. What was the, what is the uh, complication that happens? I have no idea. <laughs> exactly. I, I would probably say something so like you broke you, you like I I pick the lock or like I don't pick the lock but the trap doesn't spring kind of a thing so and and this is the type of thing where you have to be you have to know your group um now in most cases or i break my lock picking tools or something like that or you break your lock picking tools that that's actually one that's an example in the book you're able to pick the lock but a, a tool breaks so on the next 
for until you get your tool repaired, you're going to roll a, a disadvantage die on all of the rest of the rolls you make with that those lock picking sets. So that's or you made that you or do. you made a loud sound, and now we lost the element of surprise, and the bad guys are coming. Or exactly. now yeah. the door won't shut, and you can't stop the bad guys from following you in. And now right. I can't stop you guys from coming up with ideas. <laughs> you just have to give us like just that little bit of time. So and that's Fletcher what stalled is- really nice for us to come up with that answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what's and that's what's cool about the Genesis system is it allows people to come up with cool ideas. Now, Savage Worlds does this a little bit with the Bennies and saying, "Wait, I want to change the story a little bit," but you guys never really use those to change the stories all that often. We just um, like Genesis dice a lot. Yeah, you just like rolling <laughs> dice. Genesis allows you to have that a little bit more control, but it's still, there's a lot of crunch there. The books are big. Like I said, there's literally three different versions of the Star Wars game that are if not. If anyone is curious, they are the Age of Rebellion is the one where like you're the rebels, the yep. Edge of the Empire, you are the you're scoundrels, the you are Han Solo, yep. and Force and Destiny, you are Luke Skywalker. So if you want to yeah. be Leia. Which- Han or Luke, you pick your game based on that. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, and they are te- they're they are functionally compatible. They are not uh, balance compatible. Balanced, if yeah. you create a character in the Force and Destiny, you're going to be a stronger character than a scoundrel. Yeah, basically, if you are a Jedi, you can do whatever you want anywhere. <laughs> That actually reminds and, me of the White Wolf ecosystem I was talking about before, where like these games are encapsulated pretty well, and they're in the same setting, so you could cross them over. But when you do, it gets real wacky real fast. It gets broken. Yeah. All right. So that's Genesis. Um, again, these are custom dice, more more story flowy, but still a lot of crunch. Chris, did you play any of the older versions of Star Wars? I did not. There's, I know there's a D6 version of Star Wars. I know there's a D20 version of Star Wars. Um, elaborate. Give me an older version of Star Wars. We're talking uh, about yeah. them. I mean, I, I don't know the exact version numbers, but there, there are several games that I played in that were the D20 base of it. Uh, so it felt a lot like D&D in that core mechanic, right, of rolling 20 and you got your skill checks and everything. Um, but had a lot of fun with it. I think uh, one of the issues was everybody always wants to play a Jedi, and it's just weird yes. when you've got so many Jedi running around. Yeah, and it's not like everyone wants to play a Jedi. It's like everyone wants to be like a Jedi master. Nobody wants to be like, oh, I'm force sensitive just learning. No, you want to be like, I swing my (laughs) lightsaber and no one can touch me with a blaster and I can force choke people who make me mad. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that is why there are three different flavors of uh, the Star Wars game. Because if you think about it, like the Edge of the Rebellion, this would be more Mandalorian-ish. Right. Yes. That's if Edge you want to play Empire feels much game. more Mandalorian. Yep. If you want to play, uh, you know, clone. Well, maybe Clone Wars. I haven't watched enough, but I, the, what I have watched is a lot of Jedi's in it. If you want Jedi battles, you play Clone Wars. And if you want everything else, you play Edge of the Rebellion. Age Basically, of Rebellion. how that Age of Rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> Edge All right. Of the let's Rebellion. talk about Call of Edge of the Rebellion. Let's talk about Call <laughs> of Cthulhu for a moment. Um, this is a game, Spencer, I'm going to have you talk about this first, because you played this at uh, Gamehole Con th- two or three years ago, probably three years ago, because of the pandemic, so that all is wiped away. Um, and I did play it last year, so you must have played it the year before. That year doesn't count. Um, that, yeah, yeah <laughs> pandemic year does not count. Uh, Call of Cthulhu. Now, you played a very epic version of this, was multi-table, blah, 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 but I'm focused on the system itself. Um, what did you think 
of Call of Cthulhu, and can you kind of summarize how the system works? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, more story, mystery, and horror-driven. You, you could draw a parallel to the vampire games like that, but it approaches that very differently. Um, the dice mechanic is really interesting. It's um, I've heard some people refer to it as like a poker system. So you're you're rolling dice and you get um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think that's the way that, that it works, right? So you're uh, you, you sort of add up the number of dice that are like the same number on there. No, Am I don't I think so. Wrong? This is it's a D100 system. Oh, yeah, it's oh that's right, that's right. Yeah. I'm thinking of another one. So yeah, it's a the, the percentage dice. That's right. Um, so I like the scale of that. And it was very easy to look at stuff and say, like, well, I have, you know, this percentage chance of succeeding. What, what is, what is that poker system that I was thinking of? I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, no clue. I think that was a different Cthulhu game. I'm going right, to look that look up. You look that now. up while I talk about Call of Cthulhu because I, uh, listened to Delta Green, which is essentially the same system, but in a different time period. Call of Cthulhu is usually 2030s and Delta Green is present day. Um, but it's the D100 system and you skill yourself up, you earn points. So somebody who's a doctor has like maybe a 60% in surgery and somebody who everyone has 10% in everything. So there's always like a little bit of a chance you can do something, but you're trying to get under your number. So you're trying to roll lower. And if you get doubles, that is your criticals. So if it's under your number and you get doubles, it's a critical success. And if you get over your number with doubles, that is a critical failure. And it's very story-driven what those successes and failures look like. It's up to the but, handler discretion. But I, I, think, I think the most unique thing on um, the... Uh, Call of Cthulhu front is the uh, like insanity and mental health yeah. mechanic of it, right? And this is a good example of where like the fluff and the crunch really need to 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 sync up together well. Um, and this is something I think like Vampire tries and and like sometimes it works, but uh, Call of Cthulhu does it really well. So you take sanity damage when you see these you know horrors that should not be. And that will slowly destroy you as mm-hmm. a as a. Uh, and there are breaking points, and yeah. if you reach a breaking point, that has really severe mechanical consequences. Right. So it adds yeah. sort of an extra dimension to something like D and D, where you don't want to run out of hit points. You can die in combat here as well, but there's like that mental keep your sanity together thing uh, going as well. One of the things I think is interesting for horror games in general, and all of the Cthulhu based games have this, is that sanity. Um, sanity level, whatever it happens to be. And again, we see this in a lot of board games where sanity is a thing. But when you see it in role-playing games, it, imagine you're in, jumping back to D&D for a moment, I'm running through a cave and all of a sudden I have murderous fish people coming out trying to kill me. In D&D, I don't give it a second thought. I pull out my sword. I slay <laughs> the fish people. I'm a hero. <laughs> Every now and then something happens in D&D and you're supposed to make a will check because... Yeah. It's got an aura yeah, of fear. Yeah, or it'd be a will check. It's like yeah. fear is eh, a mechanical that... like yeah. <laughs> if you are frightened, you do this. And if you are, you know, like you are going to run away at your speed, like you don't make a choice about what happens because you are frightened. Like it is a mechanical It's just it's just a mechanic. Thing. Yeah. But in all the Cthulhu games, sanity plays a big part of it because you are playing someone who is seeing things that you're not meant to see. And as players, we're we're desensitized to all of this because this is just part of our geek culture. Like, oh, tentacles. Yeah, that's totally normal. But if you're in, like, actually, if us, you know, 
Kitty, Spencer, Fletcher, and I were all like hanging out in my basement and tentacles started coming out of the wall, we'd be freaked out. Like that's not something that normally <laughs> well, and happens. Well, and you really hit on something there, right? So it, it, in Dungeons and Dragons, for example, and what was the uh, system we were talking about earlier where this applied? I think Savage World, right? You talk about in Savage World, a an NPC or you know regular person in the world dies with one wound, but the heroes get three. Uh, in D and D, it's the same kind of thing where you're all heroes, and the the rules are a little bit different for you because you're exceptional. In Call of Cthulhu, you're just a person, yeah. Right. And you're just thrown into the meat grinder and it's exploring the horror of an average Joe facing these horrifying monsters. Yeah. The world that it takes place in is our world, but there are these horrors, but you don't know that those horrors exist most of the time until you like the character doesn't know until they're starting to play the game. It's very rare that somebody knows a lot because once you start to know what's going on, you lose your sanity. And yeah. you and it, like the the more you know about the world, the worse you are at playing this game because yeah. your sanity Again, takes you out. <laughs> imagine yourself in the situation where you suddenly realize that n- no doubts, no facts, no theology, no religion. No, it's, it's not that. It's you, honest to evilness, know <laughs> that there is a tentacle monster that is coming into this world to destroy humanity. You know this is going to happen. Or something even creepier and grosser than a tentacle monster. Like, we think tentacle yeah. monster because, you know, Cthulhu, tentacles, that's it. But, like, there are so many other Lovecraftian horrors that they have drawn into this game that can really be super creepy. There yeah. are times where, because they do a podcast of Delta Green and they've done some Call of Cthulhu stuff, they're like, it is too close to bedtime. I need to turn this off. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's a, yeah. you know, it, maybe the, I don't know if there's a right characterization, but there's almost like a hand-waving aspect of it, too, because it's not just these monsters that you know that exist. The idea, too, is you learn about these things. There's, it almost changes your morality or the way you see the world. Like, you learn these unknowable secrets that, that which is why you end up having these cults that want to summon these monsters that are going to destroy the world. And I think part of the reason that's such effective horror is because it undercuts a lot of the core assumptions that we particularly as modern and scientific people have that the universe is something that's fundamentally rational that you can go and understand it. And that through deeper understanding will be more comforted and more powerful in the world. And the fundamental assumption of the Lovecraftian horror genre is that that's not true, that there's something fundamentally wrong and broken about the universe. And the deeper you go in, the worse it gets. It's, yeah, it, it, it's it's meant to be freaky, and it's a hard game to run and make it feel freaky. Like it's it's it is one of those games where I don't think. And Kitty, you mentioned that they have a Delta Green campaign going on. For me, I would never want to run this as a campaign. I would always want to maybe as a campaign, like a three to five session campaign. But that's my arc that I can play horror in because. In the end, you all die. If you don't succeed, the world <laughs> is done. Don- Sorry, over. World world demolished. You failed. So they've played three campaign isn't the right word because they're like three to six sessions, I think, is like, yeah, I think Mini seven campaign. is the longest they've gotten. Yeah. But 
But it's a storyline. So you get one storyline and they carry over characters storyline to storyline, but not all of them. Some of them have died. Some of them have gone insane. Some of them are missing. Some of them just don't come back to do missions. They are hiding under a rock pretending that this isn't happening. <laughs> Rocketing and that, back that's and kind of fun, you know, like being able to bring it's in It's fun new to characters. hide under a rock. Okay, it's not fun to hide under a rock, but it's hi- <laughs> it's fun to, you know, I'm playing the same stories over and over again, but my character is different. And this was something we did in Vampire for a while that I think was in some ways more fun than our other vampire games. We played Vampire Hunters, where we made human characters who were meant to be disposable. So they they did not have, like, you know, these were normal people who found out vampires exist and were trying to take them out. And they are not powerful or, like, this is not the second Inquisition coming for the vampires. This is, like normal people and it yeah, was super so, fun so to let, create so real quick, characters right? so in, in in that world of darkness setting there is a, a a hunter game that you can play where hunters are they're humans but they have a little bit of some supernatural power thing going on that allows them to be effective vampire hunters that is not what we were playing <laughs> we here. didn't do that the concept of this game was you're basically like a loser human that has nothing special about you and we're going to be a bunch of dunces that you know, trip over each other and eventually maybe kill a vampire or all get killed. And it was super duper fun just to make <laughs> a ton of characters. Cause like we all made three characters at a time. And it's like once one dies, the next one pops up. And it was just like finding ways <laughs> to work people into these stories and to come up with these little stories of how you found out that vampires exist. And that was a really cool thing we did. This, so I'm going to plug dungeon crawl classics right now. Because if I don't say Dungeon Crawl Classics, someone's going to yell at me for not doing it. <laughs> Dungeon Crawl Classics is that funnel aspect where you create a bunch of characters. Um, it's D&D. Everyone creates a bunch of characters at level zero. Like, literally, you have a half a dozen characters at level zero. And you start playing. And if one of your characters, you pick a character, if one of your characters dies, you take the next one. You take the next one until someone gets strong enough to keep going in, like, first edition D&D um, type of things. Uh, that is my understanding of Dungeon Call Classics. If that's not the understanding, you can email me. I'll ignore you. But also, <laughs> ultimately, Dungeon Call Classics is one of those things where it's just like, I want to throw myself into a meat grinder and have a fun time. And that is essentially what throwing yourselves at vampires is. Fletcher, I've been literally, if you're watching the notes, and only three of us are, um, you've been seeing me flip around back and forth whether or not I want to go to Fletcher's game or zombicide next and i'm going to go to zombicide next because you, we just <laughs> talked about call of cthulhu and it's kind of horror-esque zombicide second edition the board game has just i was gonna say uh, it's delivered. not a tabletop rpg is it it you it well it is now so um all right C- christopher dong mentions the alien rpg which kitty you need to talk about in a minute because i'm certain you've listened to the podcast i have not but, listened to them play it but they did play. <laughs> all right so, Christopher, we are going to talk about the Aliens RPG in that, hey, um, New Game Who Dis did a thing on Alien RPG. You should go listen to it. And if you don't, uh, Christopher's going to be very sad. But Zombicide is now a role-playing game. I got the Zombicide 2nd Edition game. I'm not a huge fan of Zombicide. In fact, the first modern version of Zombicide, I played it once at Gen Con like five or six years ago, seven years ago. I did not like it at all. It could have been the person that was teaching it. It could have been it was 2 o'clock in the morning when I started playing it. But I did not like the game. 
in any way, shape, or form. Um, I really like the fantasy version. I like Green Horde. I even like the alien version, Invasions. Zombicide 2nd Edition I backed because, hey, why not? And it came with a Zombicide role-playing game called Zombicide Chronicles. I plan on running this game. It is a very straightforward system on how to run Zombicide, the role-playing game. And if you want to... like, This is a nice... Um, I, I want to call this a gateway RPG. <laughs> <laughs> because if you know Zombicide and you have Zombicide Chronicles... You have everything you need to run the game because it uses the miniatures from Zombicide, if you want. They're optional. It uses the maps from Zombicide, the map tiles. Again, optional. But you can just throw this stuff down and boom, you have yourself a zombie game that you can play. And you can play this. The reason to play Zombicide, the role-playing game, versus Zombicide, the game, is that you can actually introduce the creepiness that we're talking about with Call of Cthulhu. Hey, there's a horde of zombies coming after you. Okay, I shoot him with my shotgun. Great. There's still a horde of zombies. Also, you see in this horde of zombies your Aunt Fran. You can't do that in Zombicide the board game. You can, but typically people aren't. They're just going to, I'm going to kill Aunt Fran. But if you're playing a character, I'm killing Aunt Fran's going to become a thing. Um, but kill, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> What did Aunt Fran do to you, Chris? Do we need a therapy session about Aunt Fran? Turned into a zombie and tried to suck my brains out. <laughs> so, actually, I literally have an Aunt Fran. I didn't realize that until just a second. But anyway, um, <laughs> beside the point. Surprise Aunt Fran. <laughs> She's not Aunt a zombie. Aunt Fran was a listener. She just canceled her Patreon subscription, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to add Aunt Fran will never be successful. <laughs> never. But Zombicide, the role-playing game, I am, I am excited to run this. And I'm going to run it. It's just going to be a one-off. It's going to be with a friend of ours, Sydney and a friend of ours, that, and she really likes Zombicide. Um, actually, Jennifer, um, who's a Patreon. And, hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. We're gonna, I'm going to run it. I'm going to run it in the creepiest possible way I can. Because, I, I again, when you're running horror games, you need to know who you're running it for because there are boundaries that you shouldn't cross but i'm gonna run zombicide the role-playing game and if you're interested if you like zombicide and you want to like try a role-playing game for the first time zombicide chronicles is a good way to get into it um terrence says i should run it at a con sometime okay fine the next not the next non 2021 convention i will run i will run i'm and this is over and above why am i saying this right now. I'm going to say this right now. I will run three non-D&D one-offs. So it'll likely be Savage Worlds. It'll definitely be Zombicide because that's what triggered this. And it'll be one other one that I get to decide, which will probably be Keyforge using the Genesis system. Um, so yeah, I, hold me to that. That's going to happen in the near future. Fletcher, tell us about your cyberpunk game. Well, it's called Shadowrun, not cyberpunk, <laughs> okay, unless you want me to talk about the video game. Which Cyberpunk and Shadowrun are the same thing. It's like it's 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 still future corporations plugging into systems. I read a Shadowrun's book uh, once. It was really good. <laughs> I haven't read any of the Shadowrun books. Um, so my memory, I don't even know what edition I played. It was a long time ago, probably in the early 2000s. So we're talking, you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, what I remember is it's a D6 based system. So you're running, you're rolling like a bunch of D6s 
and it's kind of like a skill based system. So you can put more points into like um, cyberware or firearms or hand to hand combat, that kind of stuff. Kind of like kind of like Vampire the Masquerade a little bit. So, um, but I, I what I liked most about the game um, was really the setting and it was my friend's older brother that ran the game for us um we didn't play it that often but but the but the setting and the artwork in the book was actually like what i thought was really cool has anybody else played this game or looked into it i have not played Shadowrun, but a lot of my friends have it was one of those things that i've always like oh i I should get around to playing that yeah so i'm gonna confess go ahead i was gonna say i think there's a new edition yeah, no, there's, there is a new edition. Um, Shadowrun is very, um, is it, is it great IP? Um, when I, so my confession is I, wow, this is more of a confession than I really intended to be, but I'm going to do it right. <laughs> I was very, very late in like being comfortable reading just in general. Um, I remember being like nine years old and avoiding anything that required reading because I was just, it wasn't something I was good at. Um, and these days I understand why I wasn't good at it. I blame my parents. Um, Are you but, sure it wasn't Aunt Fran that held back your reading? It could have <laughs> been Fran. It totally could have been Aunt Fran. Um, but one of the very first, bef- before I read the Harry Potter books, I had read five, and I can literally say five books that were fictional and non-required for non-required reading for me. One of them was a Shadowrun book. And I loved that book. I loved the concept. I loved the setting. I loved everything about it. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, this is near future. Um, near future, at least in the books in, in general. But the corporations have yeah. taken over. I think we're living in that future right now. Uh, the only thing that we don't have is being able to jack into computer systems. Um, no, wait, no, we do have that. We don't have a physical connection that we plug into our brain, but in all other ways. <laughs> but we're working on we that. We log on to, yeah, we have our phones in there the palm like, of our hand. There was like weapons and stuff like that that don't exist now. They have like a nanofilament whip and, and stuff like that that we don't have. And also there's sure, like elves and orcs ha- and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shadowrun is, um, it is fantasy. It is future fantasy. So you have all of the, the races to it. But ultimately, it is, you are plugging yourself into the computer and fighting against the corporations. Imagine World of Warcraft, where the world is the corporation and you're trying to infiltrate the corporations to do nefarious things. Um, Sounds very ready really, player one. Ready player one. Yeah. Which we are like five years away from. Yeah. We are five years away <laughs> from virtual school. Mark my words right now. I'm putting it on the page. We will have VR glasses where people can go to classes in VR in the next five years. College probably. Probably not K through 12, but still. It's a really cool system. I want, I would love to play in it. I don't know if I'd want to run it because when you're running a game, actually for all of these games, when you're running a game, you need to be more familiar with the lore than the system. So that's that's super important. Don't worry about the system itself. The system house facilitate the lore. The lore is what why you're playing these different games. Um, except for the next category we're going to get into in a second. But when yeah, you're I playing Vampire... I forget the author of Shadow Run, but I, I think they pretty much invented the genre of cyberpunk for the most right. part. Yeah. I would also like to say that there is, in fact, a cyberpunk tabletop RPG. There in their current edition is Cyberpunk Red. Yeah. 
Exactly, because cyberpunk <laughs> is the generic term for Shadowrun, um, I think. But when we're talking about like Star Wars, this the system of Star Wars, the role playing game, facilitates playing a Star Wars game. Call mm-hmm. of Cthulhu facilitates playing that genre. If you want to run these games, if you know the story and the lore, the rules are not hard to adapt to what you want to do. And that's why, I mean, ultimately, that's why you'd play a game of any of these games is because you want to be in that setting, not because, eh, sometimes. Sometimes it's because you want to play a different mechanical system. But typically, it's because you want to change the setting and the mechanics help facilitate those settings. I'm going to go into an entire genre of role-playing games that I'm going to just... Go ahead, Kitty. I have two things. Number one, I think the most fun we have when we're playing role-playing games is often when we are breaking... um, The rules are nothing but a crutch, and really, when you break them, that's when the fun comes out. True. um, True And then I'm looking at our notes here, and we're already at an hour, and it looks like we are halfway through our notes. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the next three things so fast. You're gonna be amazed. Okay, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> All right, because the next thing I'm gonna talk about, you guys have nothing to say about. Maybe you might have. I'm gonna talk about Hero System and GURPS. Have you guys ever played the Hero System, or do you know what GURPS is? You have you have given me the books before and said we should play this. I was like, yeah, and then we never did. That was it. Perfect. All right, Hero System. Hero System was my second role-playing game. It happened after I hated Dungeons & Dragons. I said, uh, this sucks. Hero Systems is a superhero-based role-playing game where everything is point by, everything costs points, and those points equate to power levels, and micromanaging those points is the most fun of that game. And playing the game, a combat could take five hours to represent a minute in the game world. And yeah, that sounds way better than, than D&D. That. It's so much more fun. Oh, my God. I love the hero system so much. They are in 6th edition right now. 4th edition was the best. 5th and 6th are fine. But 4th edition hero system was my jam. GURPS literally stands for Generic Universal Role-Playing System. This was the Palladium Games um, kind of competitor to hero system at the time. These are both 80s games. Um, and both of them still exist today. But... Their heydays were the 80s. Uh, GURPS is another classless, levelless system. It's more points boy, but a little bit more generic. Um, and that is all I'm going to say about those games because we're running low on time. But I could wax on for many, many episodes just on how much the hero system is awesome and influenced my life. I'm going to talk about Fate for just a second and all the Fate-adjacent games. Fate is a game... That has dice that associated with it. Two blank sides, two plus sides, two minus sides. Six-sided die. Two blanks, two pluses, two minus. Everything you do, you roll two dice. If you get pluses, that's good. Minuses are bad. Blanks are neutral. Whatever. Your characters in Fate are, here are my three things that I, I think my character does. Boom. Fate done. I hate fate. Fate is the stupidest thing I've ever played or done or whatever. Anyone who loves fate who's listening right now, I apologize. Um, it's just not my jam. But if you want to purely what they call... It's not. There's some mechanics to it. I'll give it that. But it's kind of more of a writer's table game. 
where you just kind of improv things and roll some pluses and minuses and see what happened. Uh, I've, I've had fun. Dice. I've had fun playing Fate before, but it certainly oh, has my. not a lot of crunch to it. it. There's very little crunch. It really depends on the group more than anything else for Fate. Um, I'm gonna say Alien RPG again, just for Christopher. Uh, Dread. Dread is a fun. I've never played it, but I've heard about it. Dread is a role-playing game that uses the Jenga tower to satisfy requirements. If you can pull the block out and the tower doesn't fall, then you've succeeded at whatever you're trying to do. And what it tries to say is there is impending doom. Eventually, this tower is going to fall. How far can you get? And in Dread, you're trying to avoid pulling things from the Jenga tower. Um, all right. I'm going to move this down. Kitty wrote Warhammer. Is Warhammer a role-playing game? Yep. They've got a role-playing uh, game. Yep. They do. John <laughs> is holding it up. <laughs> John, John literally is holding up Death Watch right yep. now. And Warhammer is a tabletop miniatures game that has a, war, a role-playing game around it, which is how D&D actually was created. It started out as a tabletop miniature game, and you throw a role-playing system on it. Um, I don't know anything about it, so I'm going to avoid it. Um, in any details again because we're running a long time. Paranoia. This is another role-playing system from the 80s that mm-hmm. ran basically it's kind of a precursor to horror where it's like they're out to get you. They're going to get you. They're watching you type of thing. Um, loved it. Powered by the Apocalypse. This is actually a pretty strong system these days. There's a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games out there. Um, Dungeon World being the strongest one. The way Powered by Apocalypse works is it's not crunchy. You are trying to... If I say, hey, the goblin attacks you and he's swinging his sword at you. Wait, my character has a reaction to when something swings a sword at it. That's powered by the apocalypse. And there's tons of different types of reactions. That's a very, very specific one. Um, but if you want a more story, I'm going to say narrative-driven, um, crunchy system, this narrative thing happened. Hey, that was a narrative thing that triggered my crunchy thing. That's powered by apocalypse in a nutshell. Yeah, you roll and- 2d6 and you get either um, success, mixed result, or fail. Based right. on that. It's it's and the sliding it always scale. always moves the story there. Yeah. No, no. That That is... Thank you for... Like, that is the one thing that Powered by Apocalypse is known for is failing forward. Yes. Like, you're always going forward. Mm-hmm. And then I want to mention everything that says 5e on it. Vampire, we're playing 5th <laughs> edition. It doesn't say 5e on it. Why? It just doesn't. If you see 5e on any role-playing system... And you can go to Kickstarter and find 47 of them at any given moment that say 5e. They are using the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons system to represent their world. I have currently am backing the Stargate 5e system, which is Dungeons & Dragons 5e rule system with the Stargate world layered on top of it. Um, this is not a bad way. So if you have a group that plays 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, but you're like, I'm so sick of high fantasy. I'm so sick of magic. Fletcher tells me, not Fletcher, Spencer. <laughs> it's in my brain. It just doesn't work. They both have an er at the end Urr. of their name. It's, we're, we're, just, we're just both so handsome and intelligent that it's hard you're to tell us. You're just all the same people to me. <laughs> Spencer tells me all the time, I hate D&D because there's magic in it. Well, that is not if true. I said, <laughs> That's not true. But I'm paraphrasing, but it's not completely untrue either. Yes, it is. Uh, (laughs) But if I say, hey, Spencer, let's play the Stargate RPG 
which you already know how to play because you know how to play Dungeons and Dragons. Spencer, did you watch Stargate? Yeah, of course I did. All right, great. Then Spencer might say, eh, all right, fine. I don't expect anything of it, but we'll see what happens. As long as I get to be Richard Dean Anderson's character. I watched the movie. (laughs) That's close enough. Um, Also, you should watch the 15 seasons that followed the movie. But That doesn't look very interesting uh, to me. No, they're amazing. They're like the best. They're in the top five best sci-fi that's ever been on television. I only Everyone, remember that they make MacGyver make a MacGyver reference. Which is the no, most he amazing make the reference. episode ever. Somebody else Ugh. makes a reference in front of them, which yes. wasn't in the script. And there's a reaction on his face in the show. There's like <laughs> a legit like surprise kind of F you thing. It's funny. If you haven't watched Stargate, the, the TV series, there's 10 episodes in the, in the core. And then there's a spinoff for Stargate Atlantis. And there's a spinoff for Stargate universe i believe but that was not worth watching um the the 15 seasons of stargate though are totally worth watching so i'm just gonna lump all the 5e games into one system and call it good um and let's see where yeah i'm gonna talk about this for a second where would you normally play these games honestly because online if you look online the most frequently played games if you want to find a game online with a random group you're playing dungeons and dragons apologies that's just what you're going to be playing However, if you go to conventions, even online conventions, you can find these one-off systems being played. I'm running three of them, apparently. I <laughs> This is just going to happen. I don't even remember what they are. Um, what? Sydney will email you tomorrow. Savage World, and there's another one. Um, but yeah, go to conventions. Try out different games. Don't play the games that you've been playing. Don't play D&D just because... Unless you've never played it before and you want to try it out, go for it. But if you've played D&D a lot, try these other games. There's so many systems out there. If you go to Kickstarter right now, Kitty and I actively ignored all role-playing games on Kickstarter. <laughs> we, not always. We highlighted some. We talked about um, at least a couple, some setting stuff too. But yeah. Yeah. There are as There's many so much of it. <laughs> Kickstarters for role-playing games as there are for board games. And the Kickstarters for role-playing games are making just as much money if not more in most cases there's a lot of good stuff out there um also i've i put a note here that these systems alternate systems you have to pay attention to whether or not these are best for one-offs or campaigns just pay attention to those like if you want to run a long-running call of cthulhu campaign you're gonna have to modify the system a little bit so that your characters don't go like flipping crazy like it's not meant to be a long running campaign. It's meant to be short storyline. Um, Star Wars, on the other hand, yeah, you could run that for a while. Savage Worlds, sure. Uh, and I would but, say that I've never played a campaign oriented game that you couldn't do as an effective one shot. It's just the other way around where these yeah. one shot games are really hard to do as a campaign. I do want to give another plug real quick to a podcast in no way associated with ours. But if you are interested in a system... Go Did look. They give you I mean, for free? <laughs> <laughs> if only they would. If they would like acknowledge me as a human, it would make my day. Um, but uh, not just them too. Go look and see if there's um, an actual play podcast where they're going through this, or a YouTube video, stream it on Twitch, something. See somebody else play it. And New Game Who Dis from uh, Glass Cannon is really good because they literally start at the beginning. They go through character creation and they really give you an idea of how the rules work, which is really helpful. But even if they don't, a lot of these 
podcasting game, like it'll give you a feel for like, is this worth investing my money in? If you're not Chris and you don't just want to go out and buy a bunch of stuff and then find out you don't like it. I have six moving boxes, small <laughs> book size boxes of role playing games books that are literally looking for a good home right now. Um, if you would like to buy a bulk set of role-playing books of, across all kinds <laughs> of systems. You can pay the $900 of shipping to get that to you because that thing must weigh <laughs> yeah. a ton. <laughs> yeah. Or drive to Grace Lake. I will load it up for you. Um, <laughs> Technically, yeah. it's media mail. So it would be <laughs> It is media cheap. mail. It, it'll take three weeks to get there, Ooh. but it, it won't cost a whole ton. If it gets um, there. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, this week we did not play D and D. I think because Spencer's mom came into town or something. Um, but what I'm going to do, and th- again, Alex, Alex decided to join. Um, at the end of the credits, <laughs> I'm sorry, Alex. I'm going to I'm going to unmute Alex, and we're going to talk about his coasters. So, Alex, Julia, be prepared. Um, Kitty Fletcher, take us out. I'm not in the right spot. Man. <laughs> Kitty Fletcher. This throws me prepared. off every week. Every week. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, but I'm not so sure they're proud of us anymore. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find a link for that in the show notes too. Comments or questions, email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the support us link. And there's a link in the show notes too. I don't know why Chris insists on us doing this in a professional manner when clearly we do <laughs> nothing of the sort. No, we're not no, no, professional. No. I actually insist on us doing this in an unprofessional manner, I think. Thank you very much. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yatkowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Ann Reynolds, Christopher Letko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keefe, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Loom, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Flintham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Marina Stevens, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, Ronald Roy, Tony Simpkins, and David Garner. And goodbye, Aunt Fran. Man, that's a lot of (laughs) patrons. And thank you to everyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us, past, present, and future. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right. Now, through the magic of editing, I'm going to take Alex and Julia's audio from Zoom and put it into the podcast. Alex, Julia, say hi to everyone. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you guys sound great. All right. So, this is so cool. Alex, Alex, you did not know that I was going to do this. Um, I did not know that I was going to do this. This is how this podcast works. But you emailed okay. to the boat, not Alex. Professional in Denver. <laughs> We're not yeah, professional, and Chris really loves putting people off balance. We're ready. <laughs> you emailed me. At some point, um, there's a lot of emails, but at some point you emailed me and say, hey, I have this thing. I want to send you things. And all I had to do was give you my address. So now you know my personal 
home address. Um, so you guys can come visit, play games anytime. Please join us. Um, Julia, you, Julia, say hi. Hello. All right. It is Julia, right? I'm, yes. I'm very bad at reading everything. Um, Alex, why are Total professionals. Making, yes. Why are you making coasters on Etsy? Because they're cool. But I want to know, like, what, what inspired you to do this? And they're different than what I've seen in other coasters. Like, they're not... They're they're very unique based on I have a Chris. Why let them answer the question when you can answer it yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. You guys just go back on mute. I'll do all the talking. <laughs> no, wait, I'll put me on mute. Ready, Alex? Go. Yeah. So, as most people uh, have gotten more into the hobby, like I've always loved board games, but this past year with like COVID and everything, really got into it uh, a lot more. And just like different videos would pop into my YouTube feed and someone on YouTube was making board game coasters. And that was kind of like the springing off point. I was like, that is a great idea. And I can't believe that guy isn't selling them. (laughs) 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 So I kind of like, it was like a tutorial. I followed it and they didn't come out well. They weren't waterproof and didn't work and everything. So there was like a lot of R and D and like figuring out how they would work and everything. And then, um, it branched into more too, so I was like, "All right, there's definitely like there's got to be a market for this." So, look at Star Wars, and then you know other different kind of geeky things. But here we are. So, so how do your coasters? How do they work? How how did you like? What is the production of your coaster? Yeah, so, so that we can all start selling them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. With all the secrets. Uh, they're made very well. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Chris, how do they work? We put a cup yeah. on top of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're very advanced. Um, um, it's a swan. <laughs> so yeah, all the images actually, the highest resolution images we got were off of Board Game Geek for all the the, the uh, covers of the games. So. Of my sister. We're seeing a little right now. It looks very nice. Um, so, yeah, just with Photoshop, got them all sized up right. I mean, you know, most board games are a square cover, so some work better than others. But um, yeah, I get them Photoshopped, printed onto cardstock, and then I get them onto the wood. And then after they're sealed in and everything, I spray them with like, I've been doing spray acrylic lately, which helps keep them waterproof and everything. So you're not you're not sending this to the factory. Every coaster ordered is handmade. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. See that that that's something that means something, right? Yeah. Like, made the handcrafted stuff. <laughs> they really are handcrafted. I even uh, made a little like logo with Photoshop too, and they are handcrafted. Oh. <laughs> yep. Uh, so on cool. the back of the coaster it says handcrafted. Yep. So you know that it's officially handcrafted. Yes. Um, Julia, <laughs> what did you think about this idea when Alex like, hey, I want to make coasters and throw those up on Etsy. Uh, support me? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a great idea. It's really fun. And we kind of, we, we have fun. We kind of make them together. Um, I've appointed the chief Mod Podge officer, so. Yes. <laughs> my CMO. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. All right. So. Outside of coasters, what are your guys's like favorite games? Like, what did what did you play in the last week? Ooh. We've been playing a lot of Cubitos lately. Um, which, I need to try this game. Apparently, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, so I pre-ordered that one, um, and that came in. So we've been playing that a lot. 
Um, I like Azul. She loves Azul. Ticket to Ride. It's a great game. Yes. <laughs> um, she likes the lighter stuff. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not as into the games as he is, but yeah. <laughs> I like some of them. There's a certain level. Like these are my Julia games, and then these are my <laughs> my crunchier people. <laughs> but um, you guys probably don't even remember this, but like my first email was getting some recommendations, and uh, Chris, you recommended Outer Rim, which I love. Yep. And Kitty, you recommended Windward, which I just picked up at Barnes and Noble. I haven't gotten the chance to play it yet, but very excited. Spencer's a big fan of that. Yes, awesome. Windward's a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks so cool. I love all the little. It looks so cool on the table when all the things look floating because the yeah. acrylic stands. Oh yeah, it looks great. Yep. Well, I hope that you have a zillion extra orders due to our plug here. Um, <laughs> you won't. But I hope you have a few extra orders. Do our plug here. And thank you guys for being on the spot and talking to us. Thanks so much. You should join us more often. Monday nights, 8.30 Central Time. Everyone come along. Before you guys go, you got the tabletop plug, plug your uh, plug your storefront one more time. Where can we yeah, find you? It's, it's Geek Coasters Shop. All one word. And there's a link in the Again, show notes, cool. too. Yep. Link in the show notes. Um, and try them out. They're, they're, they're very cool. Also, I know that I you know, gave you like, hey, ask for a special request. Is that something that's actually possible? Or you're like, no, I only do these things. Potentially. It's a little tricky, like getting the images made and everything and getting them ordered to be printed. But we'll see what I can. All right. I'm going to say a little tricky is still right possible. Yeah. So <laughs> so I, I heard definitely. That's and I've got like, definitely. <laughs> Customers always right is what I heard. Got it. <laughs> There's probably about like 120 to 150 games there so far. So that's a pretty decent selection. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, we wish you guys the best of luck. Yeah. And for everyone else, we will talk to you next. Well, talk at you next week. That should be a slogan. <laughs> talk at you next week. Um, all right. And I'm going to hit stop, and then, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So, bye.